As a consultant, how can you get potential clients to pay attention when there are so many other thought leaders publishing content all the time? Start your own interview podcast and invite your ideal clients onto it. Learn more at spotlightpodcasting.com. So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting, sharing their own perspectives, tips and resources they picked up along the way for your benefit. On this episode, we're joined by Justin Keltner, who is a marketing strategist and business consultant. He's an experienced sales and marketing specialist who helps business owners and marketers scale their organizations by leveraging technology, marketing automations and sales systems. So Justin, welcome on the show. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Really great to be here. Yeah, great to have you on. So, Justin, as we usually do, I'd love to kick us off with some tactical, actionable uh, kind of advice. So I'd, I'd love to ask you, is there anything that you have picked up along your career that you think other consultants would really benefit from, whether it's a, an approach, tip, tool, strategy, whatever it may be that comes to mind? Absolutely. Well, what I tend to do a lot is... I work in the very, the very highly technical, the systems, the, the deliverability, the analytics, things like that, the, the sort of in the trenches, like hands-on technical execution, like I do that very day-to-day. And so what I'd like to do maybe just to answer this question here is, is go super low-tech, like low-tech, high-touch, and take you maybe back to the start uh, to around 2011 when I was just getting started in my business, which is now what, 12 years, almost, yeah, going on 12 years now. Uh, And I didn't have really much of a network. I didn't have a reputation. I didn't have any type of funnel or system or or anything like that. Um, Before all of these little tools and pieces that I was able to build up around myself and my business, there was one just really fundamental that I think is overlooked a lot in the consulting space and in the business space in general. And that's one word, which is networking. And that concept, so this whole idea of networking, meeting people face-to-face, like I did in the very beginning, you know, we, we look at today, for example, and hopefully the end phases of this pandemic these last couple of years, and it's gotten in many ways more challenging, but in many ways also simpler. When I was getting started, I could say now back in the day, because it was over a decade ago, but uh, when I was getting started, networking meant getting up at 5.30 in the morning and driving an hour in traffic to go and sit around a table with 20 other people and have breakfast at six in the morning, seven in the morning, you know, at, at a BNI type event or, or at a networking type of event where mm-hmm. you shake hands, pass out your business cards and just kind of hope that referrals came to you. And I, I did that. And somehow I was, I was actually able to successfully build uh, like a pretty strong six-figure business in the first few years. Because I started there, but I didn't like leave it there. So I went to those events. I found in many cases smaller events, like little more niche uh, types of things, and and uh, organizations where I was able to go and speak and to add value to like some of the members. And from there, I, I was able to get some of my first clients. I was able to really get like my first uh, experience in the consulting space. But it started out with just going and shaking hands face to face, putting myself in situations and scenarios where I would meet the right kinds of people. And on that networking note as well, I'm not a fan of events that have networking in the title. I think that most of those tend to attract a lot of people that are really, not not to say necessarily entrepreneurs, 
but a lot of like just high, you know, sales people, a lot of the sort of the sharks and the wolves and <laughs> and everything else. But what I really enjoy, uh, and and this is this is probably my my favorite tactic for generating business, even if it is very low tech. But it's like just going to the events and the trainings and even personal development seminars and things where the um, quality and the type of people that will be at that event are going to have similarities to you, both in terms of values and in terms of hobbies and in terms of things that you're learning and that you're trying to learn uh, in business or otherwise. You build business relationships by creating business friendships first. I know that was a little bit of a long answer, but yeah. but yeah. that was kind of like my background and how I evolved. And I think that it's really important to start somewhere yeah. because a lot of the people that I work with have email lists of hundreds of thousands of, of contacts, but they didn't start there. And I'm sure that a lot of your listeners as well aren't starting there. So it's important to think low tech before you build all these different you know pieces and systems and tools that like maybe I support people with. It's important to like start at the ground level and build yeah. that really solid yeah. foundation. And you do that through relationships and you do that yeah. through networking. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting the whole the whole question of in person networking. I, I found, uh, you know, living in big cities. Networking has its own challenges, and I suppose it often depends on where you live as well, right? Or what's available to you. In New York City, we have an abundance of choice, so there are so many things going on. But what I found—I don't know if you found this as well—but like, a, I think your point around quality events and how do you determine that quality? I think part of it is like looking at who's organizing it, because oftentimes the attendance is a reflection of the network of the people who are organizing it, for one thing. And then also, I find in in a big city. The more specific, the better, because the more generic meetings are just going to like, eh, you know, if it's a marketing meetup, you're going to have people who are very tangentially related to marketing or, you know, like, oh, I need some marketing. And it's a bit, it's a bit random. The other thing I, I found uh, that helps as well is repetition. Like instead of just going from one thing to the other to the other um, is to actually attend the same thing more than just once because that builds familiarity and it builds trust, you know, and people like, oh, they get, you know, after a while they're like, oh, okay, you know, it's worth actually investing in building a relationship with you because they know that you're going to be the next one and the next one. Absolutely. You create this thing that they call in, in psychology, the mere exposure effect. So just the fact that they're yeah. exposed to you over and over again, you build that, like you're saying that familiarity and it creates, and this works actually online as well with things like retargeting, mm -hmm. but you create this familiarity where they're like, it's, it's called the, I, I've seen you out there somewhere effect. Something, something that effect that yeah. where, where, okay, I've seen this person here and then I've seen them, you know, so many different events, this type and this, this group of people where now they're familiar with you. And now you're not like just a stranger. Now, now you're actually approachable. And if you're approachable, they feel comfortable asking you for help with something. And if you've proven that you can support them with a little thing, then they're much more likely to refer you. And you bring up another point, actually, if, if I can just roll on this mm -hmm. a little bit, which is yeah. the idea. So it's interesting because I lived in LA for a few years as well. And I grew up in, in the Bay area by San Francisco and you're right. Like that's one of the big challenges with these different events is that there's so many different things you can go to. And like, there's so many opportunities. And in fact, so many different people uh, in just in that city that you could possibly connect with. So it's like, what makes you special? Uh, what makes you stand out? So it is about finding those like little niche things because everybody wants to go to like all these big networking events. But if you, you know, you got to get creative. So like, I'll give you some, some examples. Um, meetup is a really great place to look. And again, things are just starting to open back up now, but go to meetup and don't type in necessarily networking event, like maybe look at the business category, but what are your interests? Like, are you 
you know, are, are you maybe like a, a spiritually, you know, or heart centered entrepreneur? Like, do you like to be around those kind of people? Mm-hmm. Find events like that because there's going to be a lot of entrepreneurs there. Uh, do you, you know, do you like brainstorming and thinking of ideas like masterminds are a really, really good one. And a lot of those are virtual now as well. And, and in a lot of ways now, like when I was, I was living in Colombia for, for a few years. And one of the things that I noticed there is because of the pandemic, it really expedited bringing a lot of these events online. So even though I was in Medellin or another city at the time, Mm -hmm. I could go to a networking event in New York, in LA and in San Francisco, like all in the same week without ever leaving my apartment. So it's actually opened up some new opportunities, but meetup is great to find events, to find like-minded people. And um, to your point, you know, find something that you like. Uh, maybe it's a mastermind group and you enjoy the people there. You go over and over. They get used to seeing you there. They get familiar with your face and figure out a way to like contribute to the group and to the group's leaders. Like a, a good friend of mine, Michael Roderick, talks a lot about this idea of find the landowner. So instead of going and, and finding the, those individual people, those individual buyers, go and find the person who has those connections and add value to them. You know, interview them for your podcast, find a project that you can help them with, or even a charity that they support and find a way to get involved, even in a small way. If, you know, whether it's your money, whether it's your time, you can really get a leg up by showing that you care about things and that you have an affinity for similar things to the ones that they also enjoy and that they participate in. Yeah. And sometimes that could be as simple with, you know, with in-person events as just like helping them stack chairs at the very end. <laughs> it can be as simple as that. That's your way of adding value. Like, because people are honestly, I mean, having, you know, if you've been in a, an organizer's position yourself, like, you know, it's like there's so many things to do and every single little piece of help is, is, uh, is welcome. So. Absolutely. Even the smallest things can be, be of great benefit in the moment. So, yeah. And, uh, so you mentioned, uh, just then, you know, you, you, you talked about how at one time you're in Medellin. Now you find yourself in, in Tijuana. So. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm by like, I'm, I'm in the Tijuana, San Diego area. I go back and forth here. Yeah. A lot, so so I, I'd love to hear a little bit about your, you know, how you ended up there. What was the catalyst behind you, you moving? And yeah, I'm just curious about your journey and if there are any things that you wish you'd known, uh, about, you know, upping sticks, uh, and what it's like, you know, running your business. Remotely. Definitely. So what, what specifically, cause there, 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 that's a world there. Like where, where do you want yeah. me to start? Yeah. Well, let's start with the catalyst. Like what was the impetus behind you moving to warmer climates? Yeah. There's a lot of reasons. I, I mean, if I, if I go back to just my journey and I, I've lived in a, in a lot of places mm-hmm. and I've traveled and worked remotely really all around the world. And I'm kind of on a little stint here uh, in Mexico currently. Mm-hmm. And I've lived, you know, in, in Eastern Europe, I, uh, Central Europe. I've been in Colombia and Mexico, other countries as well. The main thing for me that I keep coming back to isn't so much the fact that you can go to a country and say, you know, I like the, the dating landscape here more, for example, mm. or the cost of living is, is better and things are cheaper. Um, it's just the very nature of being able to design a lifestyle in which I'm, I'm a big fan. Like if I, if I get a little philosophical for a minute here, I'm a big fan of optimization and of being able to create backup plans and being able to have freedom to the extent that I desire. So that's why I don't, I don't buy into like a lot of this, you know, corporate mentality of saying, you know, you need to get a job in this place and go to this office every day for eight hours. And, you know, you're going to, you know, 
grow up in the city and then you'll have, you know, buy a house here and have a family and the white picket fence and all these things. It's like, that's great in theory. If like you're in a Disney movie, you know what I mean? (laughs) But the reality of it is there's nothing to, in my, I mean, again, this is all very subjective, but in my opinion, there's nothing better than to be able to say, okay, cool. You know, my, my lease here is up in three months. I want to go to Chile for, for a few months. I want to go explore uh, and not being tied down to like a one specific location. And by the way, you know, when I was, for example, in Colombia, it wasn't like I was just there and I was, you know, kind of traveling. Like I also did my best, at least before the pandemic, to go and build community. So I would find organizations there that I could support, both by by donating time, donating resources, other companies, like other entrepreneurs that were there, either local or from the US as well, who were building companies. I was able to get involved with some of their businesses as well. And that, that's an important thing, actually, is if you are considering like the digital nomad lifestyle, don't do it and think, well, I'll go there, but then like, I'm not going to have people, I'm not going to have community there. Like community is what you create around you. I think that I had the wrong impression and, and the false belief, and a lot of other people do as well, mm. that there has to be a community where I'm going. You know, yeah. like there has to be a community of X type of people there that, that I'm going to relate to. And like, sometimes there is like, for example, in Medellin, there's actually a lot of expats there. There's a bunch of Facebook groups that you can go to and see events and see, you know, local kind of things for, for expats. But community is what you create, you create around you. Like mm-hmm. I used to do uh, live events occasionally in the Bay area. So I would do little events that have, you know, 15, 20 people. Sometimes they were usually free. Sometimes they were like paid trainings and I'd have like guest speakers and things like that. Nothing huge, like nothing more than like 20, 30 people, but it was a great way to go and create community around me. And of course I got clients out of it. It's fantastic for that. But more than that, I made friends. I built friendships with like personal friendships and business friendships and sometimes both in one. So wherever you go as a digital nomad, like think, how can I create my community? Like how can I sort of be this hub in the center and create events, like build events, whether it's personal development related, whether it's business, whether it's just just to have fun, to go out, to go mountain biking, to go hiking. And back to, I think, your original question, which is like, what what sparked it? It was the location independence Certainly the, the cost of living, because just my personal opinion, there's a lot of things in the US that are worth it, but there's a lot of things that frankly, to me are a little overrated. Yeah. And again, I mean, I, I think that a lot of people beg to differ and there's a lot to be said. And that, that's why I live also uh, close to the States. Like I could you know, be in San Diego in a 30 minute drive, but I also have the benefits of lower cost of living. And I just feel like sometimes being in Mexico or, or being uh even in South America, is just a better culture fit. I don't know. Maybe I'm a lost soul <laughs> in, yeah. that, in that sense, but uh, planning me in the wrong place. I don't know. Yeah. But at the same time, like I never forget my roots. And the fact that I did grow up in the Bay Area and in you know Sil- the Silicon Valley gave me a lot of inspiration and a lot of connections and a lot of opportunities that I certainly uh, wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. Excellent. It's really interesting what you say about, uh, you know, that idea. I love that idea of, you know, you don't necessarily go somewhere expecting there to be community that you could just fit right in. A lot of the time it's about you actually being proactive about it. And and I've noticed this, like, uh, I've noticed people do this. Like there is, I, I think back to at one time, there is this remote startup. I forget what they were called, but they were based in, uh, in Morocco in this small surfer village. And, uh, one of the guys from this, one of the co-founders, he wrote an, an answer or or a, maybe it was like a, a post on Quora. Um, just selling Tagazoo is like, uh, Tagazoo, I think it was called. Yeah, as you know, this small 
you know, fishing village, you know, surfer village in uh, in Morocco as the place to be. And because of that, so many people just flocked to it. They were like, wow, you know, look at this, this, you know, amazing food and these, you know, amazing sunsets we can have. And um, yeah, just really interesting that one Quora post was responsible for so much activity there. And then I also think about when I was uh, traveling through places like, you know, Cambodia, how um, people, like you say, you know, they'd organize events, you know, they'd sort of have their own sort of TEDx, local TEDx version of TEDx or other kind of events to do with sort of personal development, which brought a lot of people in the nonprofit sector and the technology sector and the people having, you know, living this sort of digital nomad lifestyle all together at the same time. So, um, yeah, those are just some examples of, of where I've seen exactly what, you know, what, what you describe as well. It's funny you mention that. Like, I, I've never been to Takazu yeah. or, or heard of it, <laughs> but there's a lot of little hidden gems like that all around yeah. the world. And and I think that um, I think that life is just about discovery, frankly. Mm. And again, you know, back back to the whole idea of like untethering yourself from, you know, what what we call like the the right, you know, or that that like society's, I guess, version of what you should be doing and the nine to five and the grind and, um, you know living the the US sort of consumerist lifestyle like i think if you untether yourself both from a location that you need to be in and also from the necessity to consume and to have all the stuff and everything else you open yourself up to a world where you can actually proactively be discovering and um i know this is getting a little off topic uh, topic from consulting but that's okay because i think it's really important i think that fulfillment and happiness overall don't come directly from money. And I've had years where I've made a lot of money. I've had years when I've definitely made less money. But the happiest I was, was when I had the right kinds of people around me Mm. that supported me and and vice versa. And when I had the freedom to travel and to explore, because for me that the idea of traveling isn't just to go and see a new city and take some pictures, you know, at the Eiffel Tower or wherever. Mm-hmm. It's to be able to experience a culture in another country and even another language that is so distinct from my own that it challenges my views of reality. And then if you look back, you know, if you look at something, for example, like the allegory of the cave, where, you know, everybody sees the shadows and they don't understand exactly what's what's around them. They're just seeing their interpretation of it. Okay. I go and I go out there, I leave the cave, I explore. Now I can come back to the cave and say, look at everything that I learned. It's so much different than what we all thought it was. Because even now in 2022, I, I think that Americans, I mean, frankly, are very ethnocentric and they, and I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I'm American, so I'm, I, I'm guilty. I'm just trying to get better at it, but they feel that their reality is like the only reality or the best reality. And more than 50% of people in the US don't even have a passport. So it's like, once you get, get outside of your little comfort zone, your little bubble, and you see the world, it changes your perspective so much. And like, that's really what I want to do for myself. And also to kind of bring that back to other people, like with my podcast, it's like, it's about sharing ideas, new perspectives. And I, and I'm going to launch one in Spanish as well and interview people in Latin America, because yeah, there's certainly things here that are less developed than the U S but there's also a sense of family and a sense of pride and a sense of like just connectedness here that I feel like maybe doesn't exist in more developed countries. And there's so many other things that I've been able to explore in the world. And that sense of challenging the status quo and that sense of being able to like bring that back to my community after I learn it, like that, that's something that's just super, super fulfilling to me. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. And so if we maybe bring things back to sort of, you know, the, the work that you do and, and the clients that you serve, can you tell me more about what characteristics do your typical clients share? Who are the people that you generally tend to work with best? Sure. So the people that I tend to work with best are from from a purely, you know, like company type and everything else like that perspective. Mm-hmm. Typically they're selling coaching of some kind. They're selling business or personal development tools, resources, services. I think the key distinction is it, it's not transactional, it's transformational. So what the distinction looks like is, you know, I don't work with companies that are selling like, let's say a widget or, you know, just a simple like product that's a vanilla type of product on e-commerce. Now, if they're selling e-commerce and they're selling a product that needs a story to be told, they're selling a product that is transformative in the sense that somebody uses it and it, again, not to get super woo-woo, but like it changes their reality. Like there's, there's something behind it, especially if it's high ticket, because anybody can sell, you know, low ticket. You know, you could you hack ads, you can optimize things, you can find other ways, you know, JVs, you can find people to, you know, to sell your product, you can list it on Amazon, whatever. That's not really the kind of client that I work with. The kind of client I work with, they're definitely mostly coaches, but they're high-end coaches, they're high-impact coaches, and they're high-ticket coaches. I think those are those are the three distinctions. But I also work with coaching organizations where maybe they have a team of five to 10 to to 15 people or more, and they have their funnels already established. What they bring me in for is to really optimize things, especially in the realm of email marketing. So like, how do we sell your transformational, your high ticket service? How do we get you booked for more high ticket sales calls? And how do we use your email list and optimize your email list in order to to further that goal? Mm -hmm. And and so what are some typical challenges around that? Is it optimizing for conversion or are there certain challenges that just come up where you have the specific solution for? So what I found is that there's so many things in that world because yeah. I worked actually with a with a fairly large uh, coaching organization that I helped scale and get acquired for the greater part of the last five years. And, and I was like, you know, they would call me their Swiss army knife of digital marketing because I was in there doing Infusionsoft, um, now called Keep campaigns. I was in there doing uh, Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads and optimization of the funnel and connecting tech systems together and everything else. I also worked with the founders of Barefoot Wine on their new venture called the Barefoot Spirit. And I helped them with their membership site and I helped them with uh, acquisition of new speaking engagements and other things like that. So in the past, like it's been very, it's like very diverse. And I could almost call myself in a way an expert generalist because I'm a generalist that has a few like very key like niche specialties, especially the niche of coaching and consulting and high ticket. Mm. But the thing that I've realized is the most common denominator with a lot of these organizations and the easiest like low hanging fruit thing to fix is really their email marketing. So when they've got a list of 10,000, 15,000 people all the way up to several hundred thousand, like that's pretty much the range that I've worked in. Now, if you've got a few thousand people, there's still things you could do. Um, there's still things you can do at that level, but it's not going to make as much of a difference for what I would put in to make those results happen as if they already had 50 or 100,000 people on their list. And those specific things, if I get into the nitty gritty, are like email deliverability. Uh, what type of email copy are you writing? I'm, I wouldn't consider myself an expert copywriter. I have expert copywriters on my team, but I can definitely take a look at a piece of copy or a design 
in an email or a header or a landing page and say, you know, you really might want to tweak this because there's a little bit of a gap in how you're saying this to your market, or there's a little bit of gap here. You really might want to change these lines or lay out a page like this instead to have a much higher likelihood of conversion. But I have a, a pretty intricate process for like the intake when I work with a client in mm. looking at, you know, there's, there's so many layers, right? So we look and assess what are you doing well? What are you uh, doing that can be improved upon in your email marketing, in your sales funnels, in your ads? And typically it does start with email marketing because it's just the lowest hanging fruit. It's the thing where we can hit the hammer and it creates the most results because it's one of the areas that frankly is under-optimized the vast majority of the time. Yeah. And do you find there are any particular misconceptions that just keep rearing their head or mistakes that people or traps that people fall into around mail marketing that you just see time and time again? Uh, there, There's a bunch. So this isn't so much a common misconception as it is something that almost, I don't know why, almost everybody leaves it out and it's, yeah. it's staggering to see. Uh, and then I'll get to like some misconceptions, but one thing that's just super low hanging fruit. And again, I don't know how technical you want me to get, hmm. but I'll go there a little bit. Sure. Um, email authentication, like it's crazy how important that is. So like there's email authentication is, is mainly, well, there's really, there's really three parts to it. There's SPF, there's DKIM and there's DMARC. Like those are the main things. And you can kind of Google what those things mean. I won't go like super, super technical now, but there's different things. And typically they're set up in your DNS. So either whether you register your domain, like GoDaddy or on a separate service, like Cloudflare that will manage your DNS for you. You want to put in records that actually authenticate whatever systems you're using to send out email. So whether it's your primary system, which might be like G Suite or Outlook, that's got to be in there. You've also got to have your main like list system in there, like ActiveCampaign, uh, Keep, HubSpot, whatever it is. You've got to have that in there. And you've got to have any other system that maybe a third party is using on your behalf if they're sending out cold emails for you. Right. So that's number one. And then uh, if you use something like DMARC, you can actually have reports sent to you of when emails aren't getting delivered, which could be your emails not getting delivered, or it could be an imposter trying to spoof emails on your behalf. So there's things like that that definitely need to be set up. They're very overlooked. I would say from what I've seen, at least 50 to 60% of the time, they're not there at all. Mm. And out of the times that they are there, at least 25 to 30% of the time, they're not done correctly or optimally at all. And it's like really low hanging fruit. Like within a few hours, an expert probably could tell you what you needed to do in order to fix those things. And it literally, if you've got a list of 50,000 people, it's costing you potentially thousands of dollars a month to not have it done. So like, that's, that's one thing where I'm like, please, you know, public service announcement. If you're a marketer, go check your email authentication get the DMARC set up, get the, the, the DKM and SPF set up, make sure that that's done. It's, it's as basic as checking your uh, tires for air before yeah. you go on a long trip. Right. And okay. So a related question around that. I mean, obviously a lot of the time, if you're, you have a mailing list, oftentimes it's not that hard to find out what your open, open rate is, but your, what, what I hear you describe is how actually you can find out what your deliverability rate is as well. And it's not that hard. You can set up reports. Is that something that anyone could really do? And, and that's just not too hard. It's just something that's a little bit technical that most people just don't end up doing. Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on how, how much you want to get your hands dirty. Dirty, yeah. Like, for example, in theory, anybody can 
you know, go and fix issues with their DNS records or with their web server. Like you could Google and you could figure it out and you could do it, but you also might me- end up completely messing it up. Like mm-hmm. there's no guarantees. I'm not saying this is like I've, for, for example, I've been working with these types of systems for now going on almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And every day you learn something new and every day you realize that, you know, there's another more optimal way to do it or the landscape changes or yeah. there's like another recommendation. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a car, right? And going back to the car and the tires analogy. Yeah. If your transmission breaks, can you open your hood and go in there, like lift the car up, go, you know, slide underneath and like fix it? Like, yeah, you could, you could <laughs> buy a book on fixing you know, Lexus transmissions and you could do it yourself or you could save yourself a lot of time and effort and hire, hire an expert to like actually come in and, yeah. and uh, do it for you the right way and give you like a really solid evaluation. And this isn't my infomercial pitch here, but, yeah. but as, as a professional recommendation, absolutely. Like you want to have somebody look under the hood that really knows what they're doing and you want to have them optimize it in the right way. Mm. kind of feel the same way about an accountant doing my taxes. Um, I was talking to someone the other day and they're like, oh, I just do it myself. I'm like, <laughs> it's tr- no, it's true. Yeah. And like, and I look at my bill from my accountant and I'm like, how did I spend, you know, $3,000 on my books and my, my accounting and everything else? And I think about it, I'm like, but what, what if I did like one little thing wrong and then they came and audited me and then, mm. yeah. you know, I'm like spending dozens of hours producing. all. So it's a very similar concept. I have an accountant and I also have a bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. Because those aren't things that I'm good at, and there aren't there aren't things that I'd particularly want to do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's it's about picking the right professionals, and and this goes into another concept, which is just like how do you build the right kind of team around you? You know, you want to make sure that you don't play like instead of trying to work on your weaknesses, play to your strengths and get people around you. Especially as you're building a company, you want to get people around you that can help you with those things that you're weak at. It's good to have a basic level of knowledge, so. It's great to know that you need to have something like email authentication set up, but get people on your team, whether they're in internal people or whether they're contractors that understand like the nitty gritty tech stuff to be able to support you with that as well. Yeah. 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 Couldn't agree more. Build your own A team, basically. Absolutely. Great. So Justin, as we sort of approach the end, I would love to actually, if it's okay with you, hear a little bit more about your podcast that you've got cooking. I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about that. Absolutely. So so I actually recently launched a podcast. It's called The High Impact Entrepreneur. You could type it in iTunes, either The High Impact Entrepreneur or the whole title is The High Impact Entrepreneur with Justin Keltner, which is spelled K-E-L-T-N-E-R. Uh, you can search for it on iTunes. It's going to be on other platforms as well. We just kind of did a beta launch on iTunes. We've got a couple episodes up now and a few more that are uh, in the queue to be published. And what that show is about is really having chats, like casual conversations with high impact entrepreneurs and asking them you know, about their story, about how they were inspired, uh, about some of the things in the world that they're doing to make a difference, whether it's in their personal lives and business how they're building impact in their businesses, in their communities, in the world. And uh, sure, occasionally like there's, there's also strategies and things like that, but it's really, it's really about helping to share stories, helping to share visions and, and building a community of high impact entrepreneurs that, that are here to really like create the change they want to see in the world. I know that's, that's cliche, but uh, I think that that's kind of what we're here to do as entrepreneurs is really leave the world a better place. And to me, that feels like a big part of my purpose is like 
inspiring others. And, and that's kind of my my way of giving back. And, and that's why I created the show. Excellent. Yeah, we'll have to check that out. And finally, just as we wrap up, where is the best place for people to find out more about yourself, uh, what you're up to, and, uh, and where can people connect with you online? Absolutely. So the best way for sure is LinkedIn. You can just search my name, Justin Keltner. That's K-E-L-T-N-E-R. Or go to justinkeltner.com. You could read a little bit more about me, about the projects I'm working on. And I'm also on on uh, Instagram and a few other platforms. You could search for me there, but LinkedIn's usually the the best one. Fantastic. Well, Justin, this has been a pleasure. I've, I've really enjoyed you know hearing more about your motivations. I've learned a lot about you myself. I uh, just wanted to say thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. It was so great to be here and chat and catch up and share a little bit more with you and, and with your listeners here. That's all for this episode. And if you want to follow the podcast on social media, we're on all the platforms. So if you just search for Leaders of Consulting or our handle Leaders of C on your social media platform of choice, that includes Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook, you'll find us there.